This episode of Nocturne was brought to you with the support of Audible. Audible has a huge selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy, and more. You can listen while cooking, driving, or doing just about anything. Maybe check out The Portable Veblen by Elizabeth McKenzie. This story made me laugh out loud multiple times. A truly welcome thing right now. It features a smart, quirky, non-materialistic woman, her brilliant fiancé, multiple neurotic and hilarious family members, and importantly, a squirrel. I have a thing for squirrels. In one of my favorite passages, the main character muses to the squirrel one night by a creek, quote, I think a person ought to go sit outside every night of their life. How can it be good for us to miss this? We stay all closed up in our houses with light bulbs. This is so beautiful. Download this or another title. Audible is offering Nocturne listeners a free audiobook with a free 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash nocturne, download a title, and start listening. Again, that's audible.com slash nocturne. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. In that place where darkness and isolation meet, fear can take hold in a particularly visceral way. When you're alone in the dark, every sense works overtime. It can feel like the darkness and the fear are interchangeable. One comes to represent the other, and it can paralyze you. There's a special place in my heart for stories like the one you're about to hear— about a boy who chose to walk straight into the dark and through his fear. My name is Stefan Peterson. I'm 22. We lived on a boat for 10 years, or um, 8 to 10 years, so I was like 10 to 18 years old. It was my parents, my sister, and myself. And then I lived on the boat for a bit longer um, by myself. And uh, for the most part, we were just traveling around. We usually never stayed in the same place for more than a month. And... Um, that was our life. That became their life, despite the fact that neither of Stefan's parents had ever done any serious sailing. They had gone canoeing. My dad had built a few houses out in uh, Colorado and BC, so he knew construction pretty well, which is how he built the interior of the boat. But sailing itself, uh, we had never experienced before. They taught themselves to sail by reading books and watching educational videos. It was a huge leap, though, to move the four of them onto a sailboat full-time. It was a family tragedy that spurred Stefan's parents to take the leap. It's a bit of a long story, but uh, my mom uh, wrote a book about it. She, they both became very fearful after losing a daughter, and they found an old bucket list of theirs um, from when they were in college, and one of the things on that list was to travel the world on a boat, and they realized they hadn't done it because they had become very fearful. So, The boat was 66 feet long, 25 feet wide. So I slept uh, in the left hull, and my sister slept in the right hull. It was basically about 12 feet long, small hallway that would then lead up to a, a double bed. And um, the hallway was about maybe three feet wide, and that was our room. We also had a desk in there. Uh, the bed was positioned parallel to the hallway, and you'd jump up onto it. And uh, it was kind of small compared to other rooms, but we enjoyed it. 
and uh, my parents had their own bedroom as well. We had a, a fairly large uh, kitchen considering boat size and uh, dining area as well. They were both, it was open, open area, dining area and kitchen, so they were uh, pretty much in the same room. Stefan and his sister had been homeschooled before moving onto the boat, and his parents continued that as they sailed around the world. It was difficult, you know, like there are a lot of distractions. Sometimes not enough distractions though, but uh, you know, you're, you're spearfishing, you're seeing new places, you're going on day trips into the countryside, and it's all very sightseeing-esque, and it's pretty fun. We did the whole east coast of uh, North America. To our knowledge, we're the first power catamaran to cross the Atlantic Ocean, and we did the whole Mediterranean. We anchored in the Caribbean for many months, and uh, island hopping, abandoned islands, and we would just spearfish and just sleep out in the middle of nowhere. While he loved the experience of living and traveling on the boat, there were definitely challenges, including feelings of isolation. When you feel uh, emotionally alone and then the, the physically alone kind of uh, combine, they, they heighten each other. I was depressed at the time because I didn't have any peers. Uh, I didn't feel as if I could go to anyone to talk about it because my parents had done everything that they had done, including moving onto the boat for my sister and myself. And I knew I was an idiot for feeling the way I did. I knew that it was a once in a lifetime experience. Nights on the boat made a deep impression on Stefan. The nights were, were very different at a, a different time. Sometimes it'd be cloudy and you wouldn't be able to see a single thing in front of you. Other times, the moon would be out and there'd be no clouds and you could see, you could see like it was daytime. You could see the reflection of the moon like it was a mirror on the water. And you could see the, the Milky Way as if it was clear as day. It's funny, sometimes, I mean, largely you just hear the bow wake and uh, the bow cruising through through the water, but occasionally you'd hear some splashes and that could be dolphins or it could be flying fish and sometimes the flying fish would jump out of the water and land on your deck. One time in particular I was sleeping and a flying fish came up and hit me in my face and started uh, flapping around in my lap. There'd be shrimp that would come up onto the deck, uh, we'd see dolphin, we'd uh, have huge pods of them, bottlenose and uh, they'd, they'd just swim at the bow kind of dancing with each other and the, the bow wake. The northern lights, it was amazing because there was no light pollution. It was really clear. It looked as if there's a huge octopus in the sky and its tentacles were green and purple and it was waving them around. We could see a bit of the Milky Way at the time and the two mixed together and were pretty extravagant. Feel pretty small. We felt pretty small a lot of times on the boat. You know, you, when you realize that the closest land is 200 miles away and that there's, there's no one around for 200 miles, we felt pretty, uh, pretty small. And then you see the stars and you think that there's no other habitable place except for this place in millions of miles. It gives you that perspective. Against all the odds, we do exist, and I think that's an amazing thing. 
we would we would do overnight voyages maybe uh, every other month and sometimes they'd range from two to four nights and when I was doing the overnight trips you know there's a lot of time to think and so you have time to kind of meditate on these thoughts and ruminate on them. During overnight voyages, each family member took rotating night shifts where they would be the sole person responsible for piloting the boat and keeping the others safe. When we first started moving onto the boat and you have that time to yourself, you kind of freak out, you know, panic. But I kind of got the hang of it, you know, got my sea legs, as it were. I'd probably wake up around 5 p.m. and uh, my alarm would go off and I'd lazily slip out of bed, the engine room going just behind my cabin door. And I'd walk past it, walk up the stairs, and my mom or my dad or my sister would be there uh, for me to relieve them. And I'd hop in the chair and uh, the bolts never really, really were secure on that thing, but <laughs> you'd hop in and it'd kind of wobble a bit. Uh, you get settled in and uh, get your computer out and pop a CD in when CDs were a thing. And <laughs> you'd uh, get ready for the long haul. I would be listening to the waves and just thinking in general. And you realize that if an engine blew or um, the radar malfunctioned, um, anything could happen and uh, you'd be at fault for that if, if you were on watch. I feel like um, anyone who was, who was there at watch kind of felt responsible for the other three. You know, we, we had everything in our hands at the time. The seriousness of this responsibility was just one reason why Stefan's parents had a strict rule to not leave the cockpit when you were on watch alone at night. I think part of the reason why they told us to never go out of the cabin was because um, they lost a daughter before I was born, and so they were they were pretty fearful of that as well. And I mean, it was it was pretty dangerous and slippery out on the deck. Uh, the the non-skid surface that we had on the floor was pretty worn from use, and so the spray lands on it and it gets pretty slippery and no one would be around on, on the pilot chair to keep watch. I tried to keep my eyes off the horizon as much as possible, but we would have a, a radar that uh, kind of stripped the mysticism of the night and uh, would show any blips and it would show our course and course corrections that we'd have to make at certain times. We'd be concerned about other boats, um, storm surges that were in the area and um, in shallow water we'd be concerned about running aground. There was another big concern for whoever was on night watch. Tankers, uh, they were they were definitely a concern. Um, you think something that big could, uh, how could you miss it, you know, but they they have a weird way of sneaking up on you sometimes. One uh, came right up, I, th I believe it was our uh, starboard side and uh, we felt the wake of it right after, and it was, it was daunting. It was kind of like that moment in Star Wars in the very beginning when that huge cruiser comes on by. Imagine if you're standing right there and you're like, oh crap, that was close. 
the range of disasters that can happen in those kinds of scenarios vary widely, and there are many. If you YouTube a few videos of um, close call tanker encounters, you'll you'll see some some scary sights of. Uh, big tanker liners coming within a few feet of fishing vessels. And then there are the storms. You'll see videos of these ships, big tankers that are going, and they got to make their destination. They're going through these 50-foot waves, and the water is just crashing over their bow. And it's, it's quite a terrifying sight when you're living there. One time we were we were crossing the Gulf Stream, one of our first crossings, and we were pretty uh, we were we were still novices at the time, so we didn't time our weather window correctly. So we encountered a strong northerly wind, and that mixed with the Gulf Stream c kicked up some big waves, approximately 15 feet. Felt like uh, felt like the boat was going to get ripped into. We would pretty much just try and lay down in our bunks at night and. Uh, try not to think about it. When you can't see, anything can happen, I guess, right? When we were docking one time in Malta, uh, there was a huge storm. The boat was pounding against the dock. It was really slippery. My dad tried to jump between the boat and the dock, and he slipped and fell in between the boat and the dock. Uh, the boat was pounding up against the dock, and Luckily, he just timed it somehow just right where he, he fell in between the, uh, the slams and there's a little gap down at the bottom of the boat where the boat wasn't touching the dock and he, he managed to squeeze in there and get out from that. Stefan grappled with a fear of the dark long before living on the boat. Before I moved on the boat, the fear was present and um, even when we would leave the boat and I'd stay the night somewhere else, I'd still experience it. My imagination would kind of get away from me and I'd, uh, I'd see horrors kind of um, that no one else would see. I would see images of faces and all kinds of things and the darkness. My imagination had a very good handle to grab onto in the supernatural realm and so like evil things were out to get me and that I, I, I was in peril and that I uh, couldn't escape being caught by demons or whatever things I could come up with in my mind. I didn't know how to deal with them at all, so I, I would just kind of wait the night out. I just, I just soldiered through. I kind of felt like uh, my fear was something I had to deal with myself and that I couldn't go to other people for help. And I kind of felt that way for a while. When it came time for Stefan to do night watches on the boat, his fear took on new power. It wasn't so easy to soldier through. We would do overnight voyages maybe uh, every other month and sometimes they'd range from two to four nights. They were the worst because, at, at least at first, because I had all that time and the darkness was literally surrounding me and I couldn't get away from it and I had nowhere to go. 
So it was, it was kind of like I was trapped by my own circumstances. I'd be all alone and our big windshield would just open up into darkness, uh, unlight polluted, unfiltered darkness. We would have uh, uh, like a captain's chair that would be positioned in front of the radar and all the instruments that we would be taking our logs down on. And it'd be also right in front of the windshield of the boat, so we'd have a basically a 180 degree view out in front of us. Stefan's fear transformed from faces or demons to the real calamities that could occur out at sea, and then to more existential concerns. I think my fear of the dark centered around the potential for horrible circumstances to transpire and horrible things to happen and how you can never know what's going to happen. And I think the darkness embodied that for me. I think I was really afraid of maybe being alone because I think the night, it, it revealed to me how uh, alone we really were out there and I, I didn't have anyone at that moment. One night, as the darkness overtook him, his relationship to his fear began to shift. I was angry. I was angry at myself for, for being afraid. And eventually I think the anger just overrid the fear. I was sick of it. It was, I was just kind of running through all of my nights of fear and anxiety and all the energy that I had expended on it. And I was, I was sick of it. I was mad at myself for being unproductive and not solving the issue when I, I could have. And I, I was shifting in my seat as the anger kind of um, took over the anxiety and um, I became fed up with my stagnancy, I guess, in the moment. Finally, he'd had enough. Stefan began to walk toward his fear. I decided to confront it. I think I was looking at my mom. Uh, she had a huge fear of the unknown, and the water embodied that for her. And her, her process of mitigating that was to move on to a boat. And so I thought that uh, I could do something similar by embracing the night. I was probably 13 or 14. It was fairly calm, um, and I didn't see any boats on the radar. So I had no other course corrections to make for the night. It was kind of weird and eerie. You're sitting there all alone, and you can't really hear anything. And I kind of just got fed up with uh, being afraid. So I, uh, I did something that my parents told me I should never do. I opened the door, and as I opened the door, it kind of seemed as if the darkness was more aggressive than the light itself. It, it came in and penetrated things like you would imagine light does. I was stripping myself of all of my attempts to control my environment. You know, the, the artificial lights, the computer, the music, the distractions, 
There wasn't a moon that night, and it was just pitch black. So we had two wing decks, and those are uh, decks that go down the side of the boat on the outside, and they lead up to the bow, the front. I threw on my little uh, life jacket, and I uh, went out the side door that uh, was available to me and walked down the starboard side towards the bow and went out to the bow, and it was really slippery, and I stepped on a crusty old flying fish and <laughs> went to the bow, sat down at the front, and uh, just kind of looked down into the water and listened to the waves and the emptiness. And I uh, kind of just accepted my fate and was enveloped. It was cold. Um, there was spray coming up from the side, hitting my face. Uh, the wind was pretty powerful. It felt kind of paralyzing. And I was, I was really scared of falling over the edge because I couldn't even see the water. It was just complete blackness. And the deck was really slippery. I could have I taken a nasty tumble. Stefan sat in the cold, dark wind and felt around the inside edges of his fear. My fear kind of was dull. Significant, but dull. As if you have, you know, dull and sharp pain. It wasn't a cresting wave, it was a, it was a swell of, of fear that would rise. And so I would just sit and ride over it and I came back down and I can't really discern a distinct peak in my fear, more just the gradual incline and decline of that fear. As I uh, confronted the perceived danger of the night, I kind of saw in myself um, a stupid little kid, and I was, again, being hard on myself, but I kind of thought, why are you scared? It all just came to a head, and I thought, there's nothing to be scared of. And I realized that I didn't have to be afraid. I kind of felt empowered as I lost my anger and felt free. I had always known that there was nothing to be scared of, but I hadn't experienced it. I hadn't understood it until that night. A fair amount of time had passed by this point, with Stefan outside the cockpit on the slippery deck. To my shame, probably about an hour. <laughs> I left my post for an hour. That's a long time. I was at the bow, I was looking at the horizon, so I had a good view of things that were, were coming, and so I was well informed of the environment around me. but. Still, you, you should be prepared for any scenario. So I stood up and I kind of just stood there for a few more seconds, um, letting the moment sink in. I felt very calm after 
After I had came through my fear, I felt like I had exhausted all emotional energy. I felt very uh, satisfied. And I walked back through the dead flying fish overboard and walked back in to the cockpit and felt, I felt free at that point. There was a shift. It was a radical shift. My fear was obliterated. I, it no longer existed. Somehow something changed. I'm not sure uh, what exactly it was in my psyche, but I never was afraid of the dark again after that night. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Thank you to Stefan Peterson for sharing his story. His mother, Kim Peterson, wrote a book called Charting the Unknown, Family Fear and One Long Boat Ride. You can find a link at nocturnepodcast.org in the notes for this episode. Thanks to Audible for supporting Nocturne. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com slash nocturne. Huge thanks to Aubrey Ralph for additional sound and production help on this episode. Thank you if you support Nocturne on Patreon or PayPal. If you haven't yet, you can go to nocturnepodcast.org and click donate at the top of the page. Nocturne is proud to be a member of The Herd, an audio storytelling collective. Find out about all the shows in The Herd at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Thanks for listening. <laughs>